You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion Series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Exodus chapter 33. Verses 1 through 6, Good News and Bad News. Following the exodus from Egypt, the Israelites reached their lowest point thus far. There have previously been times of discouragement, but this was defiant rebellion and idolatry. They had made a golden calf. Moses was sent down from the mountain by God. He broke the two stone tablets of the law and dealt with the rebels. God also sent a plague among them as a punishment. He was so angry with them because he is a jealous God. Jealousy in a person is sinful, but in God it is right because of who he is. To allow his glory to be stolen by any lesser creature is offensive because he is unique. The children of Israel had left Egypt and received the law, but they were no better than Pharaoh. The law cannot save. It can only reveal how far we fall short. Our sin is rebellion and is like spitting in God's face. God would be justified in abandoning us forever. But thank God he is merciful, compassionate, and gracious. We appreciate grace more when we see what we really deserve. Now God says to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. It's time to go. The good news is that the people will still be led into the promised land. God will send an angel as his representative, but he says he will not go with them because they are so obstinate and stiff-necked that he might destroy them on the way. It is also called a land flowing with milk and honey. This is the third time the land is described in this way. The people understand God's refusal to go with them is bad news. How will the promised land be a place flowing with milk and honey if their God is not in their midst? Therefore, it was right that they should grieve over their sin and the loss of God's presence. We're told when the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, You are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Ornaments were associated with celebration, and their removal was equivalent to putting on sackcloth and ashes. It sounds much like a parent who is so angry they need some time to consider their child's punishment. Verses 7 to 11, the Tent of Meeting. Since the tabernacle had not yet been built, Moses used used to take a regular tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the temporary tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. And as Moses went into the tent, The pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. 
Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Verses 12 through 17, Moses needs personal encouragement. The people aren't the only ones discouraged by the news that God would not go with them. Moses complains to God, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Moses feels Aaron had been compromised, and he needs to know who will go with him. Moses wants God with him, and he wants to know more about him. And he again reminds God that these are his people. God promises, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Moses understands that God's presence, without God's presence, they would not be any different from their surrounding nations, so why go any further? So he says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Moses' intercession is again successful. God says, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. God no longer speaks of abandoning his people. Verses 18-23, through 23, Moses asks to see God's glory. Then Moses boldly asks, Now show me your glory. God agrees to the request, but puts safeguards in place to protect Moses because of the frailty of his human nature in the presence of a holy God. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. The Apostle Paul describes God as one who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. Anytime God chose to appear to people in human form as a theophany, they were always surprised they lived to tell of it. Examples are Hagar and Abraham, Jacob and Samson's parents. John Wesley said, If I cannot see thy face and live, then let me see thy face and die. When God says he will cause all his goodness to pass by and proclaim his name, this tells us that it is his perfect character that makes him glorious. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back but my face must not be seen. This is a gracious provision to account for Moses' frailty while still encouraging him with knowing more about the God he serves. The cleft of the rock image is portrayed beautifully in the hymn, He Hideth My Soul, by Fanny Crosby. It says, He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of his love and covers me there with his hand, 
and covers me there with his hand. So we must ask, why in the same chapter are we told that God spoke to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend in verse 11, and then we're told that no one may see God's face and live in verse 20? Why the contradiction? First, we know that God is a spirit and therefore doesn't have a literal face. He is only described that way as an anthropomorphism, a way of describing an infinite God in, in human terms so that we understand him. This face-to-face relationship Moses enjoyed with him simply meant that they had a close relationship and Moses heard his voice and could have a conversation with him. But it is true that to see God in his glory while we are in our sinful human flesh would be certain death. Even the seraphim cover their faces in God's presence. Jesus is the only one who has seen God and lived because he is God's son. So there is no true contradiction in this chapter. Scarlet threads. So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or the Gospels do we find in this chapter? Even though they had sinned so grievously, God did not utterly forsake his people, but continued to guide them and provide for them. Even though they wanted nothing to do with God, he sent his son uh, to die for us while we were his enemies. They realized that the presence of God set them apart from the other nations and they needed it to go forward. We Christians are different from other religions because we have the Spirit of God living in us and we need him to direct us daily or else we will be vulnerable to spiritual attacks. Ultimately, the worst words to hear will be, Depart from me, I never knew you. The people removed their jewelry as a sign of grief and repentance. We must have genuine repentance and demonstrate it in our actions. In Moses' intercession, he pleaded with God. He was not presumptuous. Jesus pleads on our behalf, and he is always heard. Moses wanted to know and see more of God, and it was granted. We should also desire the same, and God will always grant such a request. God said he was pleased with Moses. God was pleased with Jesus, his beloved son, and said so three times. God said he knew Moses by name. Jesus was one with the Father. Moses, was as privileged as he was, could not see the face of God and live. Jesus, as God's son, had enjoyed such fellowship. In our humanity, we are unworthy, weak, and guilty, and could not bear such a sight. The only way we will one day see his face is because he will glorify our bodies. God reminds Moses that he is not required to show anyone such mercy or compassion, but it is entirely his prerogative. The Apostle Paul uses this verse to prove election by grace in Romans 9:14-16. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. God provided a tent of meeting even before the tabernacle was constructed. God is always available to us because of Jesus. God places Moses on a rock. We stand on Jesus as our rock of salvation, refuge, and strength. Moses was placed in the cleft of the rock for protection. When Jesus was on the cross, his side was pierced with a sword. We are hidden from the wrath of God as we hide in him. 
You've been listening to the Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Exodus chapter 34. May God continue to bless the study of his word.